Thank you. Good morning. I love you. I love you. Three words, eight letters, five vowels, three consonants, which on the face of it are so simple and yet are so unbelievably complex in our day-to-day lives. Can carry so much weight, can carry so much feeling, can carry so much emotion, or can be completely meaningless, depending on the context. Many of you will um, know the first time that you said, I love you, to somebody. Some of you may never have said, I love you, to someone other than... I'm talking about people other than your mum, for example. Um, But the first time you said, I love you, to someone um, other than someone in your family. Um, I remember the first time I said, I love you, to my wife. I know, I know. She wasn't my wife at the time. Um, It's probably important to make that declaration before you marry somebody. I suppose you could use it as a bit of a hook to make sure they turn up on the day. Not sure if I love you? Come along and find out. Um, No, I didn't do that. Um, It's it's quite a bizarre experience saying I love you to somebody, um, isn't it? For those of you who who know. For me, um, I know when I proposed to my wife, um, I put a lot of planning into it. And I, I saved up and I bought the ring. And I had a period of about a week where I had the ring. And it was a very stressful experience. And then I built up and I could prepare myself for that moment. Saying I love you wasn't like that for me. I didn't go out that evening planning with my one goal of the evening to say I love you. Um, It was quite spontaneous. And uh, we'd uh, had a nice evening. Um, I was on the doorstep of a house about to walk the three miles home. um, And I just said, I love you. Yeah, it it was a nice moment. Except for the pause. Because whether she wasn't expecting it or not, I'm, I'm not sure that's entirely possible, um, but there's sometimes a pause, isn't there? If you are the sayer, not the sayee, it can be really stressful and can be quite a stressful experience. And I don't know about you, some of you have, well, I know that I do, I have a kind of internal monologue that goes along the lines of, I love you, you idiots, why on earth would you say that? You complete imbecile, it's too soon, maybe it's too soon, I think it's too soon, oh my goodness, it's too soon, she hasn't said anything yet, why hasn't she said anything yet? Say something! And before you know it, in the space of half a second, you've convinced yourself that you're going out with a female equivalent of Han Solo. Because <laughs> that's what we fear, isn't it? It's that Empire Strikes Back. For those who have no clue what I'm talking about, the Empire Strikes Back, second of the only real Star Wars films that count. Um, there's this moment in the film where Han Solo is about to be frozen in frozen carbonite. Very stressful experience. Princess Leia on the side turns to him and says, I love you. He looks back and goes, I know. (laughs) That's what we fear, if we're honest. And George Lucas, if you're listening, it's not big, it's not clever, it's not deep and meaningful, it's very, very stressful. But that's that moment of saying, I love you, because sometimes saying I love you and hearing I love you can be really, really difficult, can be really, really hard, Um, and it can be completely terrifying. And I wonder if that's because there's something different about love. That of all the interactions that we have with other people, of all the ways that we communicate, of all the the experiences that we have, love is different. It's not like work. It's not like anything else that we kind of experience. Love is personal. Love is vulnerable. Love is deep. There's a connection there that you don't get 
in any other way. And maybe that's why it's such a big deal. And we're talking this morning about being equipped for love, about being ready to love somebody else or ready to receive love. And I suppose the obvious question is why? Why is it important to love other people? You know, beyond kind of your wife or your kids or your husband or whoever is in your immediate family. Why is it important to love the people in my workplace, the people um, in my university, the people in my school, the people that I bump into in the street? Why is it important to do that? And really, I think this question is about what is the best way to live. It's about how we choose to live our lives. And the question of what is the best way to live, what's the number one priority in life, is something that Jesus was asked on several occasions in the Bible. And he was approached, we're going to look at an example in Matthew, where he was approached by two groups of people. And these are the two groups of people who love to tell other people how to live their lives. They had great opinions about what the best way of living your life was. You know those people that kind of walk into your situation and say, this is what you should do. This is how you live your life. This is them. Whether you ask or not, sometimes you get that, but this is them. And you've got this Matthew 22, 34 to 36. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Sadducees was one of the groups, so he's already dealt with them, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? In other words, what is the best way to live? What's the way that we should be living our lives? What is the number one priority in life? And Jesus replies, verse 37, Jesus replied, love. Not do, love. Often when we talk about commandments, we, we equate them with do or do not. Do not steal, do not murder, do not commit adultery, all the big headlines. Jesus' answer, what is the best way to live, what's the best way we should be living our lives, isn't about what we should do. It's love. And often we ask that question of God sometimes, is what should I do in this circumstance? What should I do about my situation? What should I do about what's going on around me? Actually, maybe sometimes the answer isn't do. It's love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hangs on these two things. Love. That's what it's all about. That's the best way to live. Love God, love people. Simple. I like the simple things. God uses the simple things. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. The foolish things, the simple things. We like the simple things. Love God, love people. And you may be sitting there in your seat thinking, but Tim, we already know this. We know to love God. We know to love people. We've seen that scripture many, many, many times before. We know. So my next question, after we've established why we should love other people, mainly because Jesus says so, but because it's the best way to live, my next question is, so why don't we? Because actually doing this and putting it into practice is difficult. It's really, really hard. Sometimes it's easy, and you have those romantic moments, like the first time you say, I love you to somebody, that are really easy and straightforward, and it's brilliant, and the world is, is full of sunshine and rainbows, and it's absolutely fantastic. 
sometimes it's really, really difficult. And there are people that we know in our lives are really difficult to love. How do I love that person in my office who is a complete pain, day in, day out, and seems out to get me? How do I love them? Because actually, if I'm honest, I don't most of the time. So why don't we? Sometimes I wonder if it's because we're not in the right place to love somebody. Or it's about me rather than about them. And sometimes whether if I love someone or not, if I'm being loving towards somebody or not, it's more of a comment about the state of my heart than it is about theirs. So what I'm going to look at this morning, and when we talk about being equipped for love, is how do I put myself in the best possible position to be able to love those people around me? Because people are difficult to love. Some people are easier than others. Sometimes it's easy to love your wife and your kids. Sometimes it's hard to love your wife and your kids. Sometimes it's easy to love those around us, and sometimes it's not. So putting yourself in a position where it doesn't matter who God brings into your life, doesn't matter who you end up working with, doesn't matter who you end up sitting next to on the bus, doesn't matter who you end up surrounded by, how can you make sure that whoever it is, however lovable or unlovable they may seem, how can you love them the best possible way? And I think it all starts here. It starts with me. It starts with my heart. And I've got three very kind of simple things to, to share with you about the way that I think we should do that. But before we get to that, an analogy that helps me. Um, I love biology. Um, it's, it's what makes me tick. I use it a lot in my work day in, day out. Um, and it's because I, I find that... Um, Things that speak to me through the biological and the physical world have, um, seem to have parallels with what goes on spiritually. Um, take your heart, for instance. Your heart is designed to take blood in and push blood out, all the way around your body. In, out, in, out, in, out. Don't shake it all about. It's probably not healthy. But that's what your heart is. It's there to take things in and, take to, and, and to push things out. So... There is something at the very core of who you are that God has placed there, God designed, put there right at the center of who you are, vital for your existence, that is there designed to take things in and push things out. But what's interesting about it, and when you get a little bit more complicated in terms of your physiology, is that the blood vessels that supply your heart, that keep your actual heart tissue alive, only actually supply your heart tissue when your heart is relaxed. When your heart beats, it cuts off the blood flow to your heart itself. It sends blood around the body, but it cuts off the blood flow to your actual heart tissue. So if you beat your heart too fast for too long, you're not supplying the heart tissue with enough oxygen or nutrients that it needs, and your heart will literally die. Now, it's a parallel. It's a bit of a leap. But if you apply that spiritually... If you give out and give out and give out and give out and give out for too fast, for too long, and never receive from God, never receive anything from him, never take anything back, never actually take the time to spend time in his presence and invest in that relationship, your heart will start to die. It'll start to wither because you're not receiving. You're giving out all the time. And it's an analogy, but it speaks to me. It just tells me something. And I think that the, one of the first few things that we should do when we're thinking about getting ready to love other people 
is actually receive love ourselves. And part of that, I think, is about being rooted in love. Because sometimes love is easy, but sometimes it's hard. And we need to make sure that we're rooted and grounded in love. Um, the first time that I told Ree that I loved her, um, I, like I say, we lived, I lived about three miles away. And I had to walk down the river on my way home. And uh, I, I should probably clear this up. I don't know if I said. She did eventually say that she loved me. There was a pause. It, it was probably only half a second, but there, there, there was a definite pause, and it felt like an eternity. But after that, she did say, I love you too, which was, was nice. I think my response was something like, good answer. <sighs> felt, a, felt a bit better after that. Um, but having had that exchange, I then walked three miles home. And in the early stages of relationship, you will know what this kind of feels like, where you have this kind of deep, intense, the world is amazing. She loves me. I don't care. It could have rained, thundered, hailed, lightninged, anything, and I wouldn't have cared less because she loved me and I loved her. And it was fantastic. And you have that kind of deep joy and, and emotion kind of in the early stages of relationship. And it does carry on through the relationship, but in a, in a different way. You don't have that quite kind of intense uh, feeling after a while. Um, <laughs> that went better in my head. That really went better in my head. Um, we'll discuss that later. Um, but sometimes I wonder if that, that feeling and that intense kind of feeling of, of being in love um, is what Paul was talking about in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3 gives you this um, message it says this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Because we read verses like that and we think, oh, that's great. You know, we grasp how wide and how deep and how high and how long and however many songs that's been put into the, the love of Christ is. But maybe actually... We really, if we grasped it, would that be the source of our joy? Would that be the source of our passion? Would that be the source of everything that's within us, that you have that feeling of intense bursting, that I don't care what happens in my life. God loves me, and I love him, and that's it. That's all that matters. And Paul gets it. And I don't know where to go from there. <laughs> but I think sometimes we, we get that in a physical relationship, but we lose it in the spiritual. We lose it in that dynamic. And sometimes we have that intense experience early on in our spiritual walk, but it, it kind of tails off over time. But actually, maybe we should be falling back in love with God again, reestablishing those relationships, that romantic thing. And if, if we're honest, it can be a difficult thing for guys to, to get our heads around as well, mainly because I think God is portrayed so much as male. But we have that difficulty with intimacy sometimes. And actually, it's recognizing that that's our problem, not God's problem. And we need to open up our hearts, be vulnerable, be intimate with our God. Because at the end of the day, he knows you inside and out. He knows your heart. He knows everything about you. He knows every aspect of your personality, even the bits that your wife doesn't know about, or your girlfriend doesn't know about, or will never know about. He knows about them. And he loves you. 
He loves you in spite of those things and he loves you because of those things. And I think we need to be rooted and grounded in that love. Because when it comes to loving other people, sometimes it's not easy. And we don't always feel like it. I love cooking. It's one of my big um, kind of hobbies. I, I quite enjoy it. Um, and I think partly why that is is because I like, I like uh, producing something that's, that's quality for people. I think partly, if I'm honest, I like impressing other people. Um, but there's a big element to it of that I'm a, I'm a real perfectionist in the kitchen, um, and Ree will testify to this, um, that I am um, a bit of a control freak when it comes to my kitchen, or at least I'm not a control freak. I just like everybody to do exactly what I say when I say it in the manner that I want them to. And that's fine, and that's great, um, and, I, and I do like preparing good food, and I like uh, producing it. However, there is a problem, and the problem is that since starting my hobby of cooking, um, I now have three children, and that is a problem in the kitchen. Because they want to join in, and they want to cook, and they want to they bake. Particularly, they love baking. Um, they like making pancakes. They like doing all sorts of wonderful things. They just want to cook with me, which is great, and it's lovely, and it's brilliant, but it causes me such unbelievable stress because they do not do what I ask in the way that I ask it. And we can be making flapjacks, for example, and Gideon is four, um, and I've been making flapjacks with him since he was about three, which is great. Flapjacks are really, really simple things to do, but he cannot mix the ingredients without them spilling out of the bowl. He cannot do it. And it's, it's, it's a difficult thing. I've had to really deal with this issue and wrestle with this issue. I'm just being real, because... On occasion, I found myself berating a three-year-old child because he can't mix the ingredients without them falling out of the bowl. And you're all judging me because of that. <laughs> but it hurts. It's difficult. And I've really had to deal with it because what I've forgotten and what I lost sight of for a bit was that actually the point of us cooking together wasn't to produce a decent end result. The point of us cooking together was to spend time with each other and to invest in that relationship. And I'd sacrifice the love for the sake of the end result. And it made me wonder, how often do I do that in other parts of my life? How often do I do that at work? How often do I sacrifice love for the people around me, whether it's people who work for me or people who work with me, for the end result? That the end result is much more important than, actually, than investing in the relationship. And if we do that, we lose something. We lose it in the moment. If I sacrifice love for the sake of flapjacks, I may get a brilliant plate of flapjacks at the end of it, but at what cost? I've sacrificed the relationship. And it's not always easy to love people. And we have this amazing passage of Scripture that tells us what love actually is. 1 Corinthians 13, you hear it a lot at weddings. It's read a lot at weddings. 1 Corinthians 13, verse, we'll start at 4 to 8, and we'll go back a little bit later on. But it says this, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And again, this is a verse that you will have heard before. But how does that work practically? How does that outwork practically? 
I think it's simply this. If I have a choice between love and the end result, choose love. If I have a choice between love and doing something excellently, I'll choose love. If I have a choice between love and perceived success, then choose love. If I have a choice between love and getting what I want, choose love. Self-sacrificing, not easily angered, does not boast, kind. This is what love is. This is what we should be demonstrating and communicating to the people around us. And I think part of that is because when it comes to loving other people, being rooted in love isn't quite enough. It's the start. It's the beginning. But actually, we have to be real in love as well. We have to be genuine in our love. So you're rooted in love and real in love to those around you. And if we go back to 1 Corinthians 1 to 13, 1 to 3, the start of that verse, sorry, the start of that chapter, it says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. In other words, what that's saying is say what you like, know what you like, do what you like. But if it doesn't have love underneath it, it doesn't matter. It won't last. It won't change anything. You know, psychologists have done a study um, surveying a number of different couples at different stages of their relationship and asking them the question of um, how often do you say I love you to each other? And they found that in the first five years of a relationship, couples were four times more likely to say, I love you, to each other than later on. So, oh, that's interesting. Okay, fair enough. So they went and focused on a group of people who had been married or had been in a relationship for 50 years or more. And they asked them, how often do you say, I love you, to each other? And they found that around about 70% of those people never said, I love you, to each other, on a day-to-day basis. But it was interesting because they asked them why that was. And these are people who were still in a relationship, remember. They've been together 50 years. And they discovered that the vast majority of them didn't feel as though they weren't in love anymore, didn't feel as though they didn't love each other anymore. They still loved each other. They just didn't say, I love you, because the words didn't matter so much anymore. What mattered was the way that they treated one another and the way that they interacted with one another. And actually the words saying I love you was less important than demonstrating that I love you. We talk about being real in love, being genuine in love, and sometimes saying I love you is less important than demonstrating it. I can say to my wife that I love her a million times a day. Probably wouldn't have time to do a million times a day, but you know. You can say it as many times as you like. But if I'm not backing that up and not demonstrating that I love her by the things that I do or the way that I say things or how I treat her, it doesn't matter. It won't last. Because it doesn't matter what you say. It's how you back it up that's important. I can know everything there is to know about my kids. I can know what their school report says. I can be really interested in every bizarre cartoon that they watch on CBeebies and know all of the characters and everything else. But if I don't love them, 
and I don't demonstrate that I love them, it doesn't matter. The relationship will last as long as they live with the same, in the same house as me. If I don't love them, it won't last. And this is where it gets complicated. I can do whatever I want for the people around me. And I can do great things for them. And I can do nice things for my wife. And I can do nice things for my kids. I can do nice things for the people at work. I can be generous. I can do anything that I like. But if my motivation isn't love, it rings hollow. And it won't last. It won't change anything. Say what you like. Know what you like. Do what you like. But if there isn't love, it doesn't matter. It won't last. We have to be real in our love. We have to be real in the way that we speak to those around us. So be rooted in love. Be real in love. The last thing is remain in love. 1 Corinthians 13, again, we're staying with that chapter, but the last verse, 13, 13, says this. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So when it's tough, when it's difficult to love, when everything falls apart, when there is nothing else left, this is what there is. If you put these things in your life, faith, hope, and love, when everything falls apart, that's what will stay. That's what will be there in the end. These are the things that you can rely on when there is nothing else. But the greatest is love. Do you ever wonder why? Why is the greatest one love? I have a theory, and it's my theory, and there will probably be other theories, but this is my thought. Faith changes your circumstances. If you look at uh, Mark chapter 5, we have the story of a woman who comes to Jesus who's been bleeding for years and years and years, and she touches the edge of his robe, thinking and knowing that if she touched the edge of his robe, believing that if she touched the edge of his robe, then she would be healed, and she was. And the last words that Jesus says to her is, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Your faith has healed you. Luke 17, you have a story of 10 lepers and one leper returns who's been healed by Jesus. Jesus said to him at the end, 17, 19, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Faith will change your circumstances, and that is amazing, and that is fantastic. And if you are looking for a change in your circumstances, you need to believe for a change. You need to believe in God. You need to place your trust in him and have faith that he wants to change your circumstances, and he will change your circumstances. But faith changes your circumstances. Hope will change your outlook or will change your vision. Psalm 39 verse 7 says, But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Where am I placing my vision? Where am I looking for? What am I looking to get out of my life? What am I looking for? And what am I believing for? It's all interlinked, but what am I believing for? My hope is in you. Psalm 31, 24 says, Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Hope will change your outlook on life. If you're feeling hopeless, you need to place your hope somewhere else. You need to place your hope in the Lord because it will change your outlook on life. It will change the way that you see your circumstances. Your faith will change your circumstances. Your hope will change the way that you see them, whether they change immediately 
or not. Faith changes your circumstances. Hope changes your vision or your outlook. Love changes you. That's why it's the greatest. It changes you. It changes your heart. 1 John 4, verse 7 to 10 says, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everybody who loves has been born of God. Born of God. It's about who you are. Not just now, not just next week, but in the beginning. Way back when. When God created you, when he conceived you, when he knit you together in your mother's womb. Love is what was there. Love was that moment. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love. If you are wanting to love the people around you, If you have a desire, whether you feel like it or not, to love those that God has placed in your life, this is where it starts. This is love. That God sent his son as a sacrifice for our sins, to atone for our sins, to put us in a place where we can receive his love and give his love away, in and out. If you're struggling to love those around you, don't pray for God to change them. Ask God to change you because it says more about you than it does about them. Make it personal. Be vulnerable. Take it to heart. Let God change you. And it may cost. It may cost you the price of being vulnerable, of having to deal with some stuff that you'd really rather not deal with, of being open, and trusting God. But can I encourage you, place your hope in him. Have faith that he has the best in store for you, that he designed you, he has, the, he has the best in mind for you, that when you're thinking about the best way to live or the best way of living your life and you want the best life possible, God has the best for you. Trust in him, put your faith in him, have hope in him and receive his love and love those around you. Be rooted in love. Learn to receive. If you struggle with that, ask someone to pray with you. Sarah said earlier on, there's people here to pray with you. If you struggle to receive God's love for whatever reason, God knows. God can deal with it. He's big enough if you let him. So pray for healing. Ask God to heal your heart. If you feel like your heart's died, ask God to heal your heart. Be real in your love for God. Be real with God and be real with those around you. Love genuinely. Not just because the Bible tells you to. Not just because you know you should. But love because it's in here. That's where it comes from. That's where it should come from. Choose love. When you're given a choice, always choose love. Be rooted in love. Be real in love and remain in love. Allow it to change you. Allow it to transform you. Love 
the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. Let that be number one priority in your life today, this week. Let love be your number one priority. Whatever environment you're dealing with, whatever situation you find yourself in, choose love. Can I pray for you? Father, I thank you for every single person here. God, I thank you for every heart in this room. Father, in whatever, in whatever state it may be in, broken, whole, and everything in between, God, we thank you that you created each one of us, that you love each one of us, that you've loved us every second of our lives from the moment we were conceived right through to today. Jesus, I pray that we will receive your love. God, that we will know your love. God, that we'll know it not just in a head sense or a mind sense, but God, that we'll know it deep down in the core of our being, that you love us and that that will well up joy in us. God, like that springs of living water that the Bible talks about, Father, it will be joy in us, that it doesn't matter what happens, what circumstances we face, that we know that we are loved. Jesus, we choose to trust you this morning. Father, I pray for healing in people's hearts now. Father, I pray that you will bless them. God, that this week, that we as a church will love each other, will love our families, will love our communities, will love our workplaces. Amen.